Well, welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, the your host for the program. I'm also the president and founder of the Coming Home Network International. This is a special edition of Deep in Scripture. This is part one of a two-part series on keeping our kids Catholic. My son, John Mark, my oldest son, will be joining me for this. We taped this recently. I was planning to give a talk, which I've given occasionally over the last 25 years, on the topic, keeping our kids Catholic. And I was preparing to do so uh, in the coming weekend, but we had an opportunity to sit in front of the camera, and I thought it'd be a great idea if John Mark and I would talk about this topic. The, the, the overall structure of the presentation addresses the seven essential things that we need to do to keep our kids Catholic. And I suppose it's based on a reflection of what we would call a memorable verse from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, two verses before that in Proverbs 22, we read, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. And so, first of all, how do we as parents, husbands and wives and grandparents, seek to grow in humility and fear of the Lord, and then how do we pass that on to our children to make sure they grow in those essential virtues of humility and fear of the Lord? And the Scripture promises that if we train up our children in this way, then when he or she is old, they will not depart from it. So this is part one of our reflection on keeping our kids Catholic, and then next week, tune in again, and you'll pick up on part two. So relax and listen to my son, John Mark, and I as I discuss, what do we need to do to keep our kids Catholic? Hi, I'm John Mark Grodi, Chief Operating Officer of the Coming Home Network, and I'm here with my father, Marcus, President and Founder, and our topic today is Seven Steps for Keeping Your Kids Catholic. Thanks, John Mark. The reason that we're addressing this issue today, given everything that we hear about on the news and that we experience at the local level, I know this is a question in the minds of many, many Catholic parents particularly. What do we do in the midst of this uh, seeming time of great crisis in our culture and our church to make sure that our children become good Catholics and then remain good Catholics? <laughs> I have to say that the reason that uh, Mother Angelica asked me to do the Journey Home program years ago was specifically because she would receive letters from Catholics who were bemoaning the fact that their children and siblings had all left the church, and what were they to do? And her inspiration was that if they could hear the stories of men and women who had discovered the Catholic Church and either had come into it for the for the first time in their life, or had returned to the church, then it would give those Catholics hope. Right. You know, so you know, this has been a part of our work as long as we've been doing the Coming Home Network International. But I suppose there's another. There's a funny reason why uh, the, the, uh, this topic. The first time that I gave this talk, yeah, was 25 years ago, and I had been a Catholic for one year, 
and I was doing some work for the Francis University, and it was summer conferences. I was involved with helping set them up, and at the last minute, we discovered that one of the key speakers for the conference had canceled at the last minute, and so the head of the conference asked if I'd sit in and give the talk, <laughs> and all I had the, the, the speaker was to be Dr. Peter Kreeft, and all I had was his talk title, title. Keeping Our Kids Catholic. Mm -hmm. Well, I was certainly an expert on this issue, because <laughs> I had been a Catholic for one year, and you were just seven years old, mm -hmm. still a Catholic. Yeah. Uh, Peter was three years old, and our third son, Richard, hadn't even been born yet. Mm -hmm. And I remember joking with the audience, saying that it would make much more sense that if there was anybody in the audience who had 15 kids, you know, five of them had become priests, five had become <laughs> nuns, the other five were families with all, in, they would make sense to give this talk. So uh, I remember struggling with this issue way back 25 years ago and asked, what should we do to keep our kids Catholic? And so I came up with what I considered seven essential, necessary things that we need to do to keep our kids Catholic. And since in the Bible that seven is the, the number of divinity, then we know these are there inspired. That's right. That's, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what these seven things are created to do. So uh, <laughs> we're going to pass these along to you. <laughs> so number one, the first thing that we need to do to do everything we can to make sure that our kids are Catholic is that before we even think about our kids, We've got to deal with ourselves. And it always reminds me of when you're on an airplane and they tell you about, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put the mask on yourself first before you turn to your neighbor and take care of them. Exactly. So we want to make sure our kids are Catholic, but before we get to them, we got to deal with ourselves. So the very first thing is we need to make sure that we are Christian. Now, some may think, well, wait a second. That's not what you thought you'd expect to say first. But there's an essential reason for this, because the core of what it means to be Catholic is that we're a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what it's about. You can be a Catholic and not be a Christian. Just like you can be a mainline Protestant and not be a Christian. It really is about our relationship with Jesus Christ. I thought I'd read from a paragraph from Adjentus, which is the document from Vatican II on the missionary outreach of the church. And I, I, I wanted to read this because many people today struggle, but what do missionaries do when they go out there, you know, when they, when they try and convert a whole new tribe of people that have never heard anything about Jesus Christ in the church? What's their goal? Is their goal, primary goal to teach them how to fish? You know, what's their primary goal? Well, here's what it says. This conversion, it talks about that's what a missionary wants to happen, must be taken as an initial one, yet sufficient to make a man realize that he has been snatched away from sin and led into the mystery of God's love, who called him to enter into a personal relationship with him in Christ. For by the workings of divine grace, the new convert sets out on a spiritual journey by means of which, already sharing through faith in the mystery of Christ's death and resurrection, he passes from the old man to the new one, perfected in Christ. Mm. That's the point. Yeah. That's the point of going to Mass, 
That's the point of the sacraments. That's the point of the apostolic succession and the Holy Father and the church. Everything is about becoming a new person in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. As it said here, the old man's gone. The new man has arrived, perfected in Christ. And the paragraph begins with this, almost like it's in the middle of a conversation. Mm -hmm. This conversion must be taken as an initial one. What's that mean? It's not a one-time, right. always, it's a continual conversion. Mm -hmm. Why does the church require that we go to Mass once a week? Mm -hmm. Because it's a continual conversion. Right. It has to stay planted in our hearts and minds because, you know, what does it mean to, to trust in God? What does it mean to rely on His grace? We have all the stuff in the church, you know, all the treasures, the sacraments that He, he gives us, but we know that we can participate in those things in a way that we're not open to the graces. I mean, we see this is, we talked about that poll recently that, that came out. We talked about it last time, you yeah. know, about so few Catholics, many of whom probably receive the Eucharist, but they don't believe that it is Jesus. So there are graces there that they're not accepting, they're not acting on. And so we have to keep it first. We have to first know Jesus so that when we are then participating in his church, choosing to receive his sacraments, going to confession, entering into prayer, that the reason we're doing those things is because we, we put our faith in Jesus Christ as a person that we're in relationship with. You know, I've uh, been recently doing some reading on the Reformation, and something I didn't quite realize until recently is that many of the Reformers were priests, and in the process of doing their ministry, they began to doubt the reality of the Eucharist. Menno Simons, the founder of the Mennonites, one of the reasons he left the church, he was a priest, and became what's called an Anabaptist with denying all sacraments, because right. he himself began to doubt the reality of the very things he stood for. Mm -hmm. And I'm reminded of an English Puritan in 1650, so 100 years after the Reformation, he's writing a book trying to renew the English church already 100 years after it started, mm -hmm. and the first thing he says in his book is, it's a sin when a man becomes a priest before he's a Christian. It can be easy, and the devil laughs, mm -hmm. that we can slide into our Catholic faith and, and do everything mm -hmm. and look like the most faithful Catholic that ever was mm -hmm. and not know Jesus. In many ways, this is you know, one of the strong messages, messages of the New Testament, right? Because in that time, you had many people who, they, again, they accepted the externals of their religion, but they didn't know God. And the reason we know they didn't know God is because when God showed up and challenged them, they couldn't see him. Their hearts were not really open to God. And so that, again, we have to make sure that our faith is first in Jesus Christ so that then all the rest, all his church, all that he's given to us in his church is in the context of that relationship, so that it is an expression, it is an acting out of our faith in Him. Yeah, I know. Boy, I wish we had more time to talk about this. But <laughs> there's one thing I got to throw in here because I, I I have come to believe what what sets an authentic Christian apart from the millions of people that are out there. Our Lord said that in the end, it's not a wide gate; it's a narrow gate. So, what sets us all apart? What does it mean to have a personal relationship with Jesus? And I think it's most expressed in the story in Mark chapter 10, verse 10 of the rich young ruler. And we remember that story when this guy comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And 
or to have eternal life. And Jesus said, have you followed the commandments? Mm -hmm. And he said, I have. And he says, well, there's one more thing you do, go sell and give it all. And then it turns out in that story that he walked away because he was so attached to his riches. Mm -hmm. And so we remember that story about a guy who was so attached to his riches he didn't obey Jesus. Right. I think the, the, a deeper part of the reason that story is in the gospel, mm -hmm. because what sets a true Christian apart is that as he responds to grace and he's awakened to the reality of God and his creator and what our Lord Jesus did for him, mm -hmm. What's his answer? All right, Lord, what do you want of me? What do you want of me? Mm -hmm. And the reason that's important, you can believe in the reality of God. You can know everything there is about God. You can do all the rituals. Mm -hmm. You can go to sacraments every day. But until you get to the point of saying, I'm yours, Lord, mm -hmm. what do you want of me? Yeah. That's the beginning of the, of the real journey mm -hmm. towards that narrow gate. What do you want of me? Now, that doesn't guarantee anything because you still got to listen to what he wants you to do like mm -hmm. that rich young ruler. Mm -hmm. Go, sell, give it away, follow me. Mm -hmm. So he asked the right question. Yeah. Lord, what, what do you want me to do? Mm -hmm. What do you want me to do? Yeah. That's the right question. Mm -hmm. And we want our kids to ask that question. Mm -hmm. I can't make mm -mm. our kids ask that question. It's got to come from in here. Mm -hmm. And that's what we pray for. But before we talk about our kids... Is it in us? Yeah. yeah. And if we're wondering, am I a good Catholic Christian? Have you ever asked the question, Lord, hmm. what do you want me to do? Whatever it is. Mm -hmm. If you read the book about Mother Teresa, hmm. when uh, the, the, all her letters, when she really struggled, right. the, the priest who wrote the book points out in chapter three, the thing that sets Mother Teresa apart was this very thing. Because she rode in there as she heard God called her to do what she eventually did. It says, Lord, whatever you want me to do. I don't care what it is, whatever you want me to do. That's what we're talking about here. Are you, as a father and a mother, ask, asking that question of God? Am I? You know, we're not pointing fingers here. <laughs> You know, all my kids are, are perfect Catholics. I don't have to worry about it anymore. you got five of them. Though. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are some practical things you think we can do? Well, obviously, we need to, to recognize that reality. We need to have a desire for it first. And even if we recognize that maybe I don't have the desire for it, we need to pray for the desire for it. We need to say to the Lord, you know, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, but then, you know, personal prayer. And I think, again, as Catholics, we, we have such a unique opportunity in the Blessed Sacrament. We, I mean, at this moment, you know, within a few miles radius of you, there are Catholic churches to whom you can go right now and be in the presence of our Lord in a different but in mysteriously the same way that, that, our, that the disciples were. You can come, you can approach him, you can be in his presence, and, and you can pray to come to know him. And, and you can end, you can ask that question, Lord, what do you want of me? I surrender my life to you. What do you want of me to do? What's the next step you would like me to take? I remember when I was a new Catholic and I used to go to the Portiuncula at mm. Francis University mm. where they had to bless the sacrament. Oh, yeah. And I, it was a beautiful place. Yeah. And I would go in there. And I'd love to go there when nobody else was there <laughs> except Jesus, you know, yeah. and I'm sitting there in front of that. I can still close my eyes and see the reflection of that mm. little tabernacle. Mm. And, uh, and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> and after a while, I asked Father Benedict Rochelle, happened to be there. And I said, what do I do? <laughs> you know what he said? What? Just talk to Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Just talk to Jesus. Yeah. Just talk to him. 
let's talk to them. That's how we grow closer, talk to them. And basically, one of the things we've got to say is, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? Hmm. All right. Okay, so the first thing we have to do to make sure our kids are Catholic is to make sure we're Christian. Hmm. Number two, if we're Christian, then we've got to make, number two, that we are Catholic Christian. Now, the question is, is this necessary? And I think even more so than 25 years ago, we live at a time when there's an awful lot of people that wonder whether it's necessary to be Catholic anymore. Right. We don't hear it as much, mm-hmm. unless you watch EWTN or, mm-hmm. so, you know, where else do we hear people saying it makes a difference whether you're Catholic? Certainly, having faith in Christ, that's something that we as Catholics share hopefully with um, our, our non-Catholic Christian brothers and sisters. But is that enough? Can you really stay there? Can you really rest on that alone? And our conclusion was that you can't. And I think we think it's very clear in the catechism. It's very clear in the teachings of the church. But I think we also recognize just intuitively uh, common sense here, even look, looking at the scriptures that, I mean, as it says in James, we, we can have faith in Christ, but then we need to act it out. And we can't act it out simply according to our own interpretation, just however we feel. We need something to guide our consciences. We need something to direct us to how precisely that life is to be lived out. And that's the gift that we have in the Catholic Church. We have, we know it's the Church. We, we have apostolic succession. We have its authority to help guide it, the teachings and the doctrines. And we have the sacraments, which are the normal means for abiding in Christ. And, and we need those because... Uh, building on that relationship with Christ, we in obedience to him, we live out this Catholic faith. And so those, those pieces are so essential. I have another quote in here from the same missionary document from Vatican II. And the reason, again, I could quote other documents that affirm the same thing, but why the missionary doctrine? Well, the church sends out missionaries to people that are not Catholics. Mm-hmm. Well, does it make a difference whether they make them Catholic or not, or just make sure that they have heard about Jesus or that they learn how to fish for themselves. I mean, what, what do missionaries go out to do? This is what the church tells missionaries are important. Mm. From Ad Gentis, paragraph 7, all must be converted to him, Jesus, made known by the church's preaching, and all must be incorporated into him by baptism and into the church, which is his body. For Christ himself, by stressing in express language the necessity of faith and baptism, at the same time confirmed the necessity of the church into which men enter by baptism as by a door. Therefore, those men cannot be saved who, though aware that God through Jesus Christ founded the church as something necessary, still do not wish to enter into it or to persevere in it. Those those are strong words from Vatican II. The reason I I love going back to that is so many people today in the spirit of Vatican II thought Vatican II was throwing all that stuff out and starting new to a more hyper-ecumenical, this is the teaching of Vatican II. Mm -hmm. So if by grace a person becomes aware of Jesus Christ and his church, that is a call home. Mm -hmm. And if they don't respond to that, the church teaches that that they are in danger of being outside of salvation. So that's why the Coming Home Network exists, Mm -hmm. is so that we can help people respond to that call of grace to come home to Christ and His church. Right. We are to first be Christians for whom we have expressly entered into a relationship with Christ and surrendered our lives to Him. 
And then in trying to act out, in trying to live out that relationship, we, we are members of his church and we embrace what all that he's given us in this church uh, and, and live out that vocation uh, of seeking holiness. Yeah, this, I suppose, is a good place to bring this up. The reason I became Catholic mm -hmm. and left my Pro lifelong Protestant background as a pastor, uh, I had always had faith in Christ by God's mercy and grace. But I came to discover at least five other things that were essential. Mm -hmm. There's faith in Christ, but I also recognized that for me to understand what faith meant and who Christ was, mm -hmm. I needed to be in union with the apostolic succession that Christ established in his apostles that have been the bishops throughout to make sure we understand what faith in Christ is, headed up by Peter, the Pope, that Christ had established as the head of his apostolic succession. And uh, that was essential. And number four, that I was in the church so that I had the authority of the church to help me understand what was true, whether baptism made a difference or what was necessary to believe, what about the Trinity, what about the divinity of Christ, all those different things. So, and then the fifth thing was the sacraments, that Christ had established the baptism and, and uh, confession, uh, the Eucharist as the means of grace so that we could not only grow in him, but abide in him and be his witnesses. And then a sixth thing that I recognized was absolutely essential was, if you will, the Beatitudes. In other words, to grow in holiness, and yeah. detachment and simplicity and all those things were necessary. And that's why I and so many others in our network have become Catholics. Mm -hmm. But if we say it isn't necessary to be Catholic, mm -hmm. you take five of those things and eventually you throw them out. Mm -hmm. You say, well, no, the church isn't necessary. The sacraments aren't necessary. Eh, the Beatitudes aren't necessary because I'm saved by Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, Apostolic succession, the Holy Father. You end up with only one thing, faith in Jesus Christ. Well, even look amongst non-Catholic Christians, not all of them agree what faith means mm -hmm. or even who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. So that's why it is important. If we want our kids to be Catholic, we need to be Catholic yeah. and essentially Catholic. So it'll be read the catechism, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. really recommend that. Um, I also put down here, be an active participant. Mm -hmm. That was one of the primary reasons St. Pope John XXIII felt the Holy Spirit was calling him to call the council, was an encouragement for Catholics to have an active participation in the liturgy, in the church. Actually, this goes all the way back to Pius X, for he was the first one that was calling for this act of participation. This didn't mean changing the mass mm -hmm. to make it so that we're up in front. No, that meant being intellectually engaged, mm -hmm. not just saying the rosary or going to mass uh, as a machine, mm -hmm but really engaging, listening, being involved, praying. I personally am glad that the Mass is in the vernacular because I love to pray along with the priest the Eucharistic prayers, mm. the most beautiful prayers we have, mm. to listen to what's being said and then offer them up with the priest. Yeah. Any other ideas on practical ways that we ourselves can make sure that we're good Catholic Christians? I think those are, are solid. Again, don't underestimate the gift that the catechism is. Yeah, that's all I can say. <laughs> okay. All right. So what do we do to make sure our kids are Catholic? 
right? This so is my we, favorite. This is my favorite one. So before we get to talking about our kids, <laughs> number one, we got to be a Christian. Number two, we got to be a Catholic Christian. And number three, are you ready for this? Yes. You got to have kids. <laughs> now, why, <laughs> why is that an important point to even put here, John Mark? <laughs> well, beyond the, the simple logical impossibility <laughs> of keeping your kids Catholic if you don't have kids, uh, it's that, that that is also an essential living out of what it means to be Catholic. We take God's call seriously to increase and multiply. We see the, the family as the basic unit of society, the first domestic church, the first place that people experience their worth and God's love and are introduced to Christ. And so embracing, and maybe prayerfully embracing, especially if it's something new to, to us, something different from us, maybe we're coming out of the, the culture, maybe we come with a lot of baggage, prayerfully trying to embrace the, the church's teaching on marriage and human sexuality. Uh, John Paul II's Theology of the Body, there's many great resources, but come embrace, learn about, you know, the church's teachings about about life, you know, and and, uh, prayerfully, you know, invite that into your relationship with Christ and pray through it. And again, like we said at the beginning, we need to ask Christ, what are you calling me to? I mean, we're all called to be not all are called to be parents, but we're all still called to disciple the people around us. And so there's many dimensions to community and family life, but you know, the embra- exploring and embracing the church's teaching on marriage and human sexuality is, is uh, and, and then and living it out in the way that God calls well, us to. Well, in, in, in the time we're living, in fact, it's even gotten worse than it was 25 years ago when I first gave this talk, right. know, in terms of the, the pressures from our culture and our media. Right. Uh, uh, we live in neighborhoods where the people around us just don't get it why we Catholics might have a larger family than they do. And uh, I remember when your mother and I came into the church, we were on our way into the church, mm-hmm. we we were faithful evangelicals, but this issue of, of a call to have children, call to be open to life, that wasn't a part of our, mm-hmm. of our Christian understanding right. because our churches never taught that. Mm-hmm. In fact, the church in which I was a minister was basically a pro-choice denomination. And, mm-hmm. and your mother and I were closet pro-life Presbyterians in the midst of this very pro-choice denomination. So when we were coming into the church and we were getting trained to become Catholics, mm. we took a course in NFP. Mm. That's natural family planning. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we're sitting in on this course taught by a local Catholic nurse. Well, the problem was this local Catholic nurse, as we're taking this class, is teaching NFP as a means of contraception. Everything she was saying was how we could use this and gave all kinds of reasons why we could avoid having children because she herself had bought into the myths of our culture. That it's merely a Catholic form of contraception. Rather than, you know, with everything Catholic, you know, grace builds on nature. God created, you know, the orientation towards family within us. And there are different situations. Some people are unable to have children or some, you know, but the point is, is that part of our life, like every other part of our life, is to be subordinated to Christ. Christ, again, like we said at the beginning, what do you want of me? And when, if I'm married, what do you want of us? You know. Yeah, I was going to say that when we were doing that, your mother, I don't know if you remember hearing the story, but your mother stood up in the middle of this meeting and was <laughs> angry and, and, and read the riot act to this teacher. My, your mother basically said, Liz, in the time we're living, if we're going to err in any direction, we should err towards being open to life. Mm-hmm not in the other direction. We don't use this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's gotta be a means for cooperating with, yeah. God, with God's call for our lives, not a way for, for evading or avoiding it. Marital and conjugal love are by their nature ordained toward the begetting and educating of children. 
Children are really the supreme gift of marriage and contribute very substantially to the welfare of their parents. That's Gaudium et Spes, another Vatican II document. Mm -hmm. So practical, we ignore the myths of culture. We trust God with our future. Mm -hmm. Really, it's trusting God with our family. We can come mm -hmm. up with a thousand reasons why, oh no, I'm worried, what kind of world am I bringing my kids into? Blah, blah, what are they gonna do? How would they ever find a job? You know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Trust God. And know the church's teachings mm. on life and defending life. Mm. I mean, those are really the keys. Okay, what we're going to do, if you want to keep your kids Catholic, before we get to them, you got to be a Christian, you got to be a Catholic Christian, and you got to have kids. <laughs> so now what do we do? Well, we're going to break here. Yeah, yeah. We're going to break here and we'll come back in the second part of this episode to then talk about, okay, now that I'm a Catholic Christian and I've got kids, now what are the other four things that we need to do to make sure <laughs> that they are It's probably Catholics. not as far as you thought we'd get. You probably thought we'd be further down the list at this point, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. Again, we're the Coming Home Network. This is my father, Marcus, the founder and president. I'm John Mark Grodi, and we hope you'll join us again next time. God bless. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.